Welcome to the Pro Wrestling For You podcast. Snap, crackle and cheap pops. And here's your host, Mr. Phil Woodvine. It's perfect, Paul James. Paul James, how the devil are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm not too bad. Better for speaking to you good, sir. How are you? I am not too shabby at all. I'm, it's weird because I've not long watched Tiger King and the temptation to say, hey, there you cool uh, cats and kittens. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to have to leave it. Good, because uh, I'm not a Carol Baskin fan, so we'll leave it at that. But literally, there's, there's nobody on that show, really, apart from the uh, the person that got their arm bitten off and carried on working. I mean, she's probably one... Uh, he, oh, God, take uh, They, put the correct term, um, they probably had a heart of gold and just wanted to do it for the animals. Everyone else was a complete and not a twonk. Just it's- hated everybody on that show. Everybody had an angle. It was weird. It was like there wasn't one good person in there. You've got Carol Baskin saying, oh, she's doing it for the Tigers and that. But at the end of the day, she was the worst one out of it. She had people working for her for free, for a coloured T-shirt, for some self, you know, justification. And she had them working for free. And she was trying to take the Tigers off people. And, oh, I I just, she made me skin crawl. I I couldn't look at the telly. Every time she was on, I was screaming at the telly. Because we've not long, uh, not long done the Magic Mark episode, and um, I when when we did season you know, series two of Snap Crack on Cheap Pops, we gave people a soapbox to kind of stand on and say, you know what, you're going to get a minute to yourself, have a rant about anything you want, and like say, drill had a, r- a rant about the bridge in Runcorn that he has to pay to go over, <laughs> and all this mad stuff. But Magic Mark went off on Tiger King because he's a big conservation fan and he likes his sort of like animals and nature and stuff. And he literally tore the entire show to bits. He shit all over Tiger King, which is fair enough because literally everyone on that show, with exception to maybe one or two people, was absolutely scum. Yeah, they were just it. Everybody was in it for the money ball, the people who actually wanted just to get close to the Tigers. Exactly, exactly. This, I think this podcast got off on quite a strange tangent. We're talking about Carol Baskins right from the get-go, which is a, a bit of a strange one. But we are, obviously, we're going to get into your wrestling career, which would have gone from, what, so May 2007, right up to right up to this year. I mean, you had a, you had a couple of matches this year. Uh, you've had five matches this year. Is, is that right? <laughs> Uh, on, on paper, yeah. On paper. Yeah, but uh, I, we'll brush it over that once quickly, shall we? No, we're going to come to that later. We're going to save the best to laugh. Uh, so we're obviously we split up into into three parts. We want to kind of talk about the past up to sort of BWA, which is kind of where we uh, met each other. Now, but for the benefit of anyone listening that might not necessarily have uh, would have heard of you, can you give us just a little bit of a brief of who is Perfect Paul James and how did you even put that the, the name together, the characteristics together. Yeah, well, I don't know, Perfect Paul James, it was, uh, it was just a combination of many things. Growing up, I grew up on very early 90s, WWF, and favourite two wrestlers back then were Brett the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect. And it was just something about Mr. Perfect. I always remember the vignettes where he was throwing the American football, running to the other end and catching it. And it was they were just brilliant. They, 
the way that the the character was just portrayed, and I always loved the perfect plex. I remember it was one of the moves that used to get my dad do to me across the bed. <laughs> he wasn't a big wrestling fan, but he always used to do the perfect plex on us. Um, and when I started training, one of the first moves that I, I used to always work on was the fisherman suplex. And back then, I had a really good bridge. <laughs> it's not quite as good now as it used to be. It does need work. <laughs> And uh, I, I, one of the first finishing moves, I, I tried to make up one myself, and it was a variation of the fisherman suplex. It was like underhook on the leg. So you're going for the fisherman suplex, but you kind of twist them as you go over into an RKO. Anyway, get, going off on a tangent, but yeah, Mr. P, he was all, he always stuck in the head. And uh, obviously, uh, my name is James Paul Berriesford, and something about James Paul just didn't you know, roll off the tongue and my mates were trying to help me come up with names when I started training and Jim Credible stuck for quite a while. My mates were adamant <laughs> they wanted me to use that. And I said, there is no way I'm wrestling under Jim Credible. It's just, oh my uh, God. How, I how, did I, how did I not know this about you? I've known you for 13 years. How did I not know this? Jim because Credible. I, it was one that never even made it to the training room floor. That's how bad it was. It never made it to the <laughs> Sunday sessions. <laughs> it was one I just steered clear of anyway. So, I don't know, just something. Mr. Pierce always in my head. And like I said, my name's James Paul. My dad's name's Paul. And I just thought Paul James had a bit more of a ring to it than James Paul because I didn't want to deviate too far from my name. And then... Obviously, big fan of RVD, mid-2000s. So, the, you know, the abbreviation Rob Van Dam, RVD. So, thought, well, if I could get some initials and PPJ, just, it had a bit of a, it, it caught me attention. So, I could incorporate that perfect, perfect Paul James, PPJ. And then I had the logo, made the PPJ, and the rest of history just stuck. Well, uh, there, is, there is an infamous picture, and I'm surprised this hasn't come up before. Um, but someone pointed out, you, you, you're wearing your... He's like a sleeveless t-shirt. Is this, would you call it a smock or? Um, oh. You know what I mean? Like it was a t-shirt right the side, so it's kind of yeah. almost like a it was, like, it was done in the NWO fashion, like Scott all used to wear. That was what I was aiming for. Like yeah. the t-shirt with the sleeves cut off and the sides cut down. It, because of the logo being on the front, there's a picture. I'm, I assume it was from that 2009 Jumping Jack show that Kim Rocks ran. And because yeah. of how the T-shirt is just you know, uh, moving as you're walking to the ring, it looks like your T-shirt actually says BJ rather than PPJ. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I never noticed, like, because I, d- I didn't look at things that closely, but someone pointed out years after. Uh, after I, think I, I missed I, that. I, I think yeah, I think I might have shared a picture of, of me and you because I was out of managing you at that point. And someone said, "Do you do the lies? The t-shirt says like BJ." I no, 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 no. Looked at it. Holy shit! How do we not notice that? <laughs> I'm, I'm taking all Wilkins, but that. <laughs> oh my god! See, it, it's easy to miss things. It, it, it's one of the, it's one of them kind of things. But um, because obviously I met you is May two thousand and seven. That's when yeah, yeah. I, I I came up to BWA wrestling in Fenton. Now, what kind of inspired you to go along to that training session? How did you even hear about it? And what it was, obviously, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. Remember, I think it was me sixth. It was me sixth or my seventh birthday. I'm inclined to say me seventh. I got to my birthday. I remember I 
got, went to mum and dad's bedroom and I got the WCW wrestling ring, the one with the red steel cage, the catapult on the corner, the bell on the outside. Um, and I, I was hooked before then, so like I say, it's been like 28 years I've been a wrestling fan. I remember the first two figures were going to be birthday, Jake the Snake Roberts and the Ultimate Warrior. Um, anyway, so always been a wrestling fan, grown up, loved it. I, I've never stopped watching it to this day. I've had periods where I haven't watched it as much. I've fallen out of love with it a little bit, but I've, it's always been there. So, yeah. like I say, I was always into wrestling. I was at university and uh, I was doing media production at the time. And it was a couple of mates who were also uh, wrestling fans. Anyway, this semester, the project was filming a documentary. Um, and it isn't as straightforward as you think, believe it or not, filming a documentary. It isn't like, right, go pick your subject, arrange, meet them, get the cameras rolling, and you film it. There was a lot more to it. It was like, you know, take the time. And especially, I've recently watched The Dark Side to the Rings, and I've listened to the podcasts of them and seen interviews with the producers thereafter, and it's, you know, it rings true of them. Like, when they went to, they wanted to do the one on Owen Hart, so they wrote to Martha Hart, and she got back in touch with them, and she posed a lot of 30 questions or something like that, and said, I'm away for a week, travelling, take your time, answer them. If I like the answers, we'll meet up, and we'll build a relationship, and we'll go from there. And that's what it was at university. They said, you know, don't just go and try and film something without doing your research and getting to know the people so obviously I was this big wrestling fan and living Stoke-on-Trent so I'd always been like you know googling and that and I can't remember where I found it from uh, that there was a wrestling school locally that was it I'd actually found out three or four years prior three years prior when I was at college there was a lad named Gavin Tams and he was in one of my classes and there was a video he showed a video clip of him wrestling and it blew my mind because this lad who was, you know, really unassuming in my class, who I was bigger than, not that that made any difference, but yeah, I'm bigger than this lad and he's wrestling, so surely I can do it. But I never had the confidence to go and pursue it because I, I, I was a very naturally shy, quiet lad. It took a, a long time for me to come out with shell. So I uh, got to university and thought, right, I know there's this wrestling school. I'm getting, getting in touch with the teacher and I'll get a documentary on it. But in true fashion, they said, don't just go and try and do it. Live it and breathe it so you can get a feel for the documentary. So I remember dropping Chris Curtis an email saying, I want to do this documentary. When's your next training session? I'd like to come along and take part in it because I've always wanted to be, you know, see what the other side of it's like, and then we can go from there. And he, he was all for it. So I went to the next training session, which was a couple of weeks later, uh, did the training session and realised very quickly I wasn't going to be able to do the documentary because with the training sessions only being once a month it was yeah. too and far it was too it was too far between for me to get the actual um, recordings the clips that I wanted I could get the interview with them but there wasn't going to be enough to it so I scrapped the documentary but then I stuck with the wrestling training and uh, the, the rest issue that's where I met you and many others I, I, it's crazy because I mean. Uh, so the people listening to this, they might not have seen that picture, but it was uh, May 2007. Um, uh, uh, there was me, there was you, there was obviously Matt Burns, obviously he's still yep. wrestling, he's now running the UKWA, another another promotion. Um, was Dave on there? I don't know if Dave was in that picture. I, for some reason, I've never seen, I've never seen him in that picture. I don't know if I know it's, was, not, it's not a great picture, but... No, it's really it's a shame, actually, because I, I really would like to have that, because I know there was people on like, there like, uh, was it Nick Nick Bally, um, 
Freak Show, Paul Petroy, uh, David Callas. Yeah. There was a few on there that really stuck around for a while. And we, you know, some really good lads on there. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame because it, it's such it's such a it's like a small picture. It's quite low res and everything. Like I'd I'd love that. Yeah, that is a, like a little memento. But yeah, say it's just it's just one of those things, unfortunately. But um, so May two thousand and seven, uh, we'll we'll go along to to wrestling training. I don't know what I'm letting myself in for. I assume you don't really know what you're letting yourself in for. No, um, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I was kind of expecting to kind of go along. And like a lot of people, like a lot of, I'm going to say, like a lot of idiots, I thought I was going to learn cool moves, like stunners and pedigrees and things like that. And it's a big wake-up call where it's like, no, 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 we're not learning that stuff. You're going to learn forward rolls. You, wait, what? I'm going to learn forward back bump. I remember it took me, I'm not joking, it must have taken me six Six months because it was once a month, and it must have taken me six months to get the bumps down. Because I remember it, it was probably concussion looking back at it now. But I remember after those training sessions, it'd be a week that I would be sore for, and yeah, it, it took me a long time recovery. But I remember once it clicked, the bumping that was it. But yeah, it was the, the school is what it was. I mean, it was great, met people like you. Uh, very like-minded people, and he taught us the fundamentals. Um, he taught us, you know, the bumps, the drills, and a lot of stuff that you know does resonate with us and stick with us. I mean, yes, like it was. It, I think because I spoke to a lot of people that you know, kind of went into wrestling schools, and everyone kind of goes into it with the mindset that they are going to learn all this sort of cool stuff. But wrestling yeah. is made up of just a handful of bumps. Whatever moves you're taking. Whether it's an RKO, that's just a front bump. You know what yeah. I mean? When you're taking a suplex, that's, that's your back bump. Pedigree, front bump. You know what I mean? Every move that... that, that the back bump's the one. I'm teaching my eldest son the back bump at the minute. I'm teaching, I'm saying fundamentally, because my eldest son, as we'll get on to in a minute, he is absolutely wrestling mad. He's the main reason why I'm back into wrestling now. Um, and they, they've just had a big trampoline for one of the birthdays not long ago so he's having a wrestling match with me on there most days at the minute and I'm just trying to drill in him about this bat bump I'm saying tuck that chin in because when you're back if the back of your head hits the floor hits the mat you'll know about it <laughs> well I mean I say like I mean, you, you've said a couple of times now that it was like the first Sunday of every month that's when training was on so just one day a month was training and we'd go to this uh, fitness first gym i think it's now yeah. pure gym in fenton and it was 20 quid for the day we'd get there between 11 and half 11 set the ring up and it's a 13 foot ring and then at 12 Tiny. yeah and at 12 you'd be uh, stretching and warming up for an hour trying to blow us up we had lots of cardio because let's be honest none of us were was in ring shape no no not even, even, not even in the never st- attended a gym at that point yeah, um, and it was just like a really big eye-opening experience. Like me, personally, when I was learning those bat bumps, and this is the importance of safety at training. Now, we had maybe, what, 30 students on that first day, there or thereabouts? Yeah. And uh, there's a good guy named Martin Lachelli. Yeah, um, I remember Martin. Well, yeah, a friend of yours? Yeah, because he actually gave me, the, gave me the information to come to BWA because I wasn't aware of it. He gave me the info and said, 
all right, let's go do it. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll come along yeah, with you. Um, and this is the, imp the importance of getting these fundamentals drilled into you. So you've got your muscle memory to know this stuff. Now, it, the trainers weren't paying attention to us at this point because we split up into different groups. He said, let me try hit you with that sting DDT. Where like he goes back, where you end up going backwards and yeah. being stupid. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? What's the worst that could happen? Oh. And he drops me on, he drops me on the head, and the trainer just kind of catches it. I am seeing stars at this point. I don't ever pass out, whether to be sick. I have no <laughs> idea. So one of the trainers rolls us out, and it's a is a guy named Tim Wiley, who's such a really nice guy, great performer. Uh, awesome but tango, yeah. yeah. And not people, not that many people will know that uh, know that name. But please do go out your way to look up Tango Tim Wiley. He's an awesome, awesome guy. But he's got a condition where um, on his, I think it's his left hand, um, his last is like little finger and the finger next to it are kind of stuck together, and the other two fingers are kind of stuck together. So it's almost like like a frog hand of sorts. The best way he ever uh, described it to me was a ninja turtle hand. He's basically got two very large fingers and a thumb. Yeah. Oh, you know, again, we're not being mean or anything like this from here. No. Tim himself, that's how he kind of, how he deals with it and what he calls it. But I hadn't noticed, like, it wasn't pointed out or anything. It was just whatever. So Tim rolls me out of the ring. I'm seeing stars. I don't know what's happening. And he starts waving this hand in front of my face saying, how many fingers, how many fingers can you see? <laughs> <laughs> and he's at that point, I'm trying to focus on his hand because thinking, well, you're waving your entire hand. But I was like, three, seven, wait, what? And by me gra grabbing hold of his arm to hold him still so I could count the fingers, that's what brought me back round, which is nuts. But testament to, to Tim, you know, amazing. He knew what to do at that point. And uh, yeah, yeah, so... Uh, if anyone's going to get into wrestling training, listen to your trainers and don't try and run before you can walk. Otherwise, you're going to get dropped on your fucking head. So, uh, thanks to Martin Lachali if you ever listen to this. <laughs> Thank you for almost breaking my head. Thanks, Matt. Oh. So, BWA, early doors, British Wrestling Alliance. Oh. Uh, yeah, frust frustrating times. Good times and frustrating times. Yeah, I mean, so, like, I... I'm never going to... I know some people don't speak too highly of the main trainer, Chris Curtis, slash Chris Matthews, real name. Um, I just let Sleeping Dogs lie when it, whenever his name comes up. Um, it, it, like I say, I'll never knock him. He, he taught us, you know what I mean? He, he, he was there. It was the opportunity we needed. It was the only place we were going to win. And he taught us the fundamentals. Um, so it, it is what it is to me. I know there was people who fell out with him along the years and branched off and that, but uh, ultimately, like I say, Chris helped us get a foot in the door. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm kind of of that mindset as well. Uh, I know we say it to you, sort of friends of mine and um, people I love and respect in this business, but I, I say I just like, you know, bygones be bygones. He's never come after me or pressing for you personally. So I can't really say you know, say much, and I'm not not going to knock a person. I'm just going, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of like leave it to that point. 
Yeah, like, yeah, like I say, me and Chris never had a crossword between us. I know there was people who he fell out with and he didn't agree with, and whatever happened between them happened between them. But on a personal level, Chris never did anything to me. He helped me out. He taught me how to wrestle, and uh, I suppose I've always got to be eternally grateful for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I said I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head. So you started there, May two thousand and seven. You kind of. Uh, yeah, we got. I'd say we kind of got put on shows quite early doors. I mean, would it have been? Oh, see, it felt like a lifetime for me. I was. I remember I got to the point where I was. I, I was running the bump drills for like when the new people coming. So we'd, we'd get there, we'd set up the ring, and then Chris would go for his shower because obviously he's been there and he, he had to mow the ring onto the van on himself at his end. So he'd be stinking that. So he'd say, "Right, I'm going to go for a jail, uh, shower." And I'd run the warm-up drills, and I always just think, oh, I'm running up the warm-up drills, but I'm no closer to getting on the show. So the first show I actually got on for, well, the first two shows actually wasn't for BWA. Um, it was for, I want to say, Shropshire Wrestling Alliance. Is that is that the one that, uh, is it Tommy Sanchez wrestles for? Yeah. Yes, yeah. To the college. I'd, I had my first two matches with them, uh, and that was through Paul Petroy and Dave, I forget his surname, Freak Show, they contacted me because uh, we were all pretty much same level training. And they said, oh, come get they want somebody on this show, come work a singles match with the uh, Freak Show. So I, I had my first match there with them. And then my second match there was with them in a three-way against Freak Show and uh, Diamond David Callas. And, and then it was only after that when I actually started getting on the BWA shows. <laughs> You actually got on the BWA shows before me. Um, I always remember that. You were on there as a manager where you, you got on there with Dean because he got fast tracked onto the shows because he was just it was a specimen. He was a power lifter on TV. Yeah, he was uh, freakishly strong. He's, he's one of those names that sort of I, I, I kind of had really high hopes for. This guy named uh, for people listening to this. This guy named Dean Twig. I mean, it was it was he's just a natural athlete. He does a lot of sort of strongman competitions these days. Trying to and follow in. Lovely lad. Uh, what a lovely yeah. lad he was. Just absolutely lovely guy. Even he's kind of wanted to follow in like Eddie Hall's footsteps, isn't he? Being a, a, a stokey strong man. And to be fair, he's well on his way. But he did get fast tracked a little bit. I mean, he was very much in shape, very much um, a, a gym goer, whereas the rest of and us were, were pale that's and That's why he it on the ad. I think that's where the frustrations come from me because at the time I was, I, once I started wrestling training, I got in the gym and I was in the gym four or five times a week and I could not put any weight on, any muscle mass, any definition. It just wasn't happening. The weights were going up, but nothing was happening. And then Dean comes along and obviously Chris really liked him because he was, a, he was doing the strongman stuff and he was just, I, I remember he, one of his first training sessions, he suplexed me from the outside, the ring apron to the inside of the ring. And if you, I'm not sure if you remember, but the ropes on that ring, even though it was a small ring, the ropes were very high. Yeah. And I was panicking because we were doing this rumble and he just grabbed me, he says, suplex. And I'm thinking, wait, I've never taken this bump, but you felt safe with him. So he, and when I say he picked me up, he dead lifted me up over them ropes into the ring and dropped me. And it was, Lovely, but I remember you know when you're relieved you've taken a really nice bump, a big bump, but it was so nice you didn't feel a thing. It was yeah. such a lovely feeling. And that was it with the he like I say, he hadn't been training long and he was on the shows, 
But in fairness, they booked him perfectly because they didn't give him too much. You know what I mean? They booked him within his limitations. They watched who they put him in there with and what type of matches they were doing. So they did look after him and he got on the shows pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, because I think, I, I don't know my the sort of timestamp on when it was you know, my first sort of shows. But I do, yeah, I do remember being on shows quite early, mainly because I'm quite a gobby person and I owned a suit. Like, it wasn't great credentials. I'm just a gobby dickhead and I own a suit. I mean, that's not great. Um, I think you, you were pretty open towards the managerial route from the get-go, weren't you? Where not many people yeah. are. A lot of people, um, I go to wrestling school, I'm going to be the next big wrestler, I'm going to do this and that. But because you were there and you just, you, you just love, you know, the banter and having a go. So for you, it was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be a manager. I'll go with this person because it was just being in front of the crowd. And that's, once you were there once, that was it. I think you kind of just went down that manager route because it was brilliant for you. You got to go out there, you got to perform, you got a reaction. So it was ideal for you. Yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much agree with that. Plus, let's be like, I'm not built for for big sort of bouts of cardio. I'm I can't do cardio for shit. I don't do leg day whenever I go to the gym. Um, like I'm not a particularly great physical specimen. Holly, I'm a gobby shit house. So we, you work with what you've got, and that, that you know what it was. Um, head trainer Chris Curtis. He said, "You know what? You're a gobby dickhead in a suit. I like you." I was like, "All right, cool." <laughs> he um, called and, it as it was. Yeah, and, and to be fair, like, I, I took that as a compliment. Yeah, and I, I still do. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm you know, 13 years later. I'm still a gobby dickhead in a suit. So can't really fault him on that. Yeah, you know, he, he had me, he had me figured out from day one. But yeah, I remember getting put on putting on shows quite sort of early doors. Didn't know really what I was doing. I was just going out and being an idiot and whatever happens, happens. But that was kind of the vibe of those early BWA shows. Because was it four matches, then an interval, and then a rumble? Am I main event and then the rumble. It always finished on a rumble. And do you remember what the music was playing the entire time? Oh, well, it's uh, Europe, the final countdown. Is that it? The final countdown. I can't hear that song at any party or any time it comes on now. I just think about the rumbles. Well, it, it's either Europe, the final countdown, or Anton Deck, ready to rumble. Like, I've been on multiple, multiple shows, some good, some bad, some absolutely atrocious. And whenever there's a rumble... Typically, it's one of those two fucking songs. Like, oh. no matter where it was, whether it's North Wales, whether it was Stoke, whether it's here, there, or anywhere, it seems to be just those two bloody songs. Bloody hell. That's crazy. But um, obviously, we're talking sort of late, uh, late, late 2000s, 2007, 2008, 2009, that, that sort of area. Now, unfortunately, the BWA did have a bit of a reputation. Again, I am not knocking it. I'm not chucking anybody under the bus. I'm just going to tell her how it is. Now, the that first training class in May 2007, was probably about 25 to 30 students. And with any class, the longer it goes on, the more it kind of dwindles. I mean, you know, people think it's going to be easy. People think they're going to learn cool moves. And when that's just not what you're given early doors, um, people tend to want to leave. And unfortunately... Like yeah, Beauty Bray was no different. People kept leaving, and then that kind of pushed people like uh, like me, people like Paul James to the sort of top of the class. So like like you said, when the trainer would nip out for a shower, 
he would leave guys like yeah, Paul James to kind of like lead the class a little bit. Um, do you think like leaving a student in charge, even though you'd been there a few years and you and yeah, you know, it was quite a similar setup, you know, most training sessions. Do you think that I don't want to say? Do you think I don't want to say that that's a bad idea? But do you not kind of think that if you kind of let a student take over, it's it's not setting a good example. It's not being as professional it's, as it could have been. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it depends on the circumstances. I mean, I can't remember the instances like vividly when it was because I remember doing it on several occasions. But I can't remember if it was like to say there was anybody new in the class. I, I like I'm guessing it was only instances when it was all the regular lads anyway. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. If it was an instance where there was new people in the class, yeah, that that is you know bad shout. You you, you wouldn't leave a student in charge. But I, you know what I mean? I can't remember the instances off the top of my head. I mean, like. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of give a little bit of an insight to sort of some happenings in BWA. So, again, we are not shitting on the product, both myself and Paul James. Very, very thankful for everything that was afforded us, every bit of uh, good advice, all this sort of thing. But unfortunately, this business will give you some instances where you kind of need to, to think whether, whether you love this like you think you did or not. And I, like, I'll give like a yeah. little example. I'm pretty certain you were there on this day. I'm Obviously, do correct me if I'm wrong. Now, the uh, the Fitness First gym is really nice gym, and there's a sort of dance studio where we set the ring up, we set the mats up, and all this sort of thing. And on one particular day, it was quite a small class, maybe <clears throat> 10 people. There or thereabouts. I mean, it kind of went up to about 20 sometimes after the original 10 can like drop out. But it was particularly low on this day. It was somewhere between eight and maybe 11 students. And I'm pretty soon, I, I was one, I'm pretty soon James is one. And it was sweltering. The aircon in the gym wasn't working. And we were working hard. I mean, the less of us there, the more they worked too hard because they wanted to prove a point, which, which again is fair enough. But we had a, you know, a six-hour session of just absolutely sweating buckets. We worked harder than anything. Um, that's just yeah, one of those things for the day. And we kind of like left feeling like we'd accomplished quite a lot. We thought we had a really good session. We got to speak to Chris Curtis because obviously there's less of us. So Chris spent more time with us so we could kind of pick his brains. And we came away feeling we've had a, an amazing session. We absolutely loved this. Then, unfortunately, it was the trainer's wife that had caught wind that um, so, uh, some people had no-showed the training session and not let them know. Now, like, you know, being a professional, if you're meant to be somewhere and you say, oh, I'm there, I'm there you don't pay till you get there. But if you're not going to show, you should have the courtesy to to call them, don't text them, that's horrendous. Call the trainer, call whoever's running it and say, uh, unfortunately I can't attend because of whatever the reason is. And the trainer's wife, uh, lady named Claire, kind of took this quite badly and I know she didn't mean it in this, in this kind of way, but it kind of showed the people that had been there, it kind of shit on all our chips a little bit because of these four, five, six people that literally just no-showed, because they were hungover, they were drunk, they didn't want to come, whatever the reason was, 
we'd busted our arses for the entire day. And then as soon as we get home, we see these messages saying, oh, if people don't want to show up to the training classes, you can all go fuck themselves. Like, whoa, I'm fire. We've yeah. been there. We've, we've literally busted our arses. We lost like a stone in sweat each. And this kind of came yeah. at like a quite a bad time. Wasn't it the following month then because the class had been down and they hadn't made as much money on it? They didn't hire the van, so the next training session was without a ring. It was just crash mats. And I always remember being so dejected when we turned up to training and they said, oh, sorry, there's no ring this month. And I used to hate that because, for me, the best bit of training was actually being able to get through them ropes, take a few bumps in the ring, get a feel for it. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's how you felt. No, I'm, I'm very much of that mindset. And even though it was a 13-foot ring and you know, if anyone's trained in you know, uh, 14, 16, 18, or even a 20-foot ring, you have no idea how good you have it. But if you can learn to wrestle in a 13-foot ring, you can pretty much learn to wrestle in any ring. So I, I kind of yeah. like it with that mindset. But and it if, was a great bumping ring as well. I always remember yeah. every, every ring I went to after that felt so stiff and rigid. It was a lovely bumping ring. Yeah, and, and Ben, like, like you kind of said at the start of the podcast, I mean, we were bumping on thin judo mats on the floor. And, uh, you know... Um, when you do that for six hours for one day and then you don't do it again for, for weeks on end, you're back for the two, three days after that training session. It feels like mm. someone's nailed a wooden board to your spine. Like Your body can't get used to it because you're only doing it once a month. Um, so when obviously the ring was there, bumping in the ring is a lot better. But yeah, I, I felt very much dejected on that day. Whether we didn't have the ring because obviously yeah, 50, 60, 70, 80 quid to hire the van. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're I, still I, paying I 20 quid. That That's what used to, I, I get it, but it used to be for me, well, I'm still paying you 20 quid. I turned up and I paid the 20 quid last month. And uh, you, it isn't so much a train as you'd feel let down by the other people who were saying, yeah, I really want this, you know. And then they're the ones who no showed. And they're the ones that cost us basically the chance to go and wrestle in the ring the, the next month and learn in the ring. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, it's weird that you mentioned that because, like, the first um, show of BWA that I went to is, I think, it's February two thousand and seven. So it would have been a couple of months before we started training. And Nothing. I went, al- I, yeah, I went along, and I'm, I'm pretty certain you were in the crowd, and there's a few of us. Yeah, uh, in the crowd I, as well. I um, went with the pal from the uni because I, I saw that they were starting the wrestling school back up. And this was one of their shows, and it was when I was yeah. still playing with the idea of the documentary. So I thought, well, we'll go see what it's like because it had been year. I mean, even though I was a lifelong wrestling fan, I, live wrestling, I hadn't really been since I was a kid. I went to yeah. a lot of the Vicky Hall shows with my grandparents um, as a young child, and since I, I never really, I never got the chance to go watch WWE um, growing up. So. I, I just wanted to go see live wrestling. It was going to take me back to my childhood, and it, and it did. But, yeah, I remember that show. And um, it, was, it was a Thursday night show as well. Like, that just doesn't happen anymore. I looked it up. It was a Thursday night. Um, they didn't have a particularly good draw. It would have been sort of 20, 30 people. Um, sort of... <laughs> like I say, it's not an ex-service men's club. There's about 20, 30, 40 people. The promoter and uh, the booker, uh, they weren't happy at the draw, which is fair enough. Um, taking the ring down at the end of the show, because I just, I just went along um, 
and then yeah, said so I'd, I'd help out. And, yep, fine. Give me a T-shirt that said security on it. Yeah, all eight stone of me being security. <laughs> and end of the show, I'm like, oh, cool. I, I like I've never been been even close to a wrestling ring. So I started taking down the ring and thinking, this is crazy. I don't know what I imagined it would feel like, what it would look like, what it would smell like. Quite most importantly, um, but like it was just like magical. Like I was taking the ropes down and climbing up into the ring, and oh, I'm in a wrestling ring. Fast forward to 2020, and it, like the end of my show, like, oh, for God's sake, I want to take this fucking but, thing down. Here's one for you. I'd say, honestly, do you still get that same buzz when the first time you get go through the ropes, when we get to a show and the ring's up, do you get that buzz being around the ring? Because there's something about it. I, I'm not sure if it was the time away. I haven't been round them as much as some of the other lads with my time off and that. But I still get that feeling. When I get to a show, I just like jumping the ring, do the bump drill we used to do, you know, forward yeah. roll, backwards roll. I, I love it. There's something magical. I think when you're a lifelong wrestling fan and you've got the opportunity to get in the ring, there's just something. I, I, I can't put a word on it, but I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you on that point. Not for me, not necessarily the wrestling ring. I've always enjoyed the entrance way. Um, yeah. It was like for me, and this might sound a bit weird, like it's a weird metaphor or weird uh, philosophy way of looking at things. I don't, I don't know. But when I'm stood the opposite side of the curtain, um, whether I'm as a manager, whether I'm an announcer, whether I'm wrestler, commentator, whatever. I'm nervous. I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. I am feeling sick. I should have gone for another wee, even though I went for like four wees before I even got up onto the stage. And you know, I've got everything in my head all competing for my attention and stressing me out. The second yeah. my hands touch that curtain, push the curtain out the way and walk through, I feel bulletproof. And again, I know that sounds really strange if people listen to this thinking, what is this dickhead on? I get it, but until you've done it, it's weird because Phil Woodvine is one side of that curtain and he comes out as filthy on the other side. And filthy is my dream that I could be that permanently. And that's, for me, that's still magical. I love getting in the ring, but the entrance wave for me, it's kind of like stars in your eyes. You go in as one person and you come out as another, but perhaps... Yeah, I, I, no, I know what you mean. It is. It's because obviously we we aren't doing it in front of thousands of people. We're doing it in front of. I mean, it's, we're having good crowds at your shows, two, three hundred people. So it, it's a sizable crowd, but it's not the thousands. But yeah, you've, those people have paid to come and see the show. They've paid to come and be entertained. So you are their Coronation Street, or you are their bad boys. You know the TV show, the movie. So you've got to be in that role and that's basically what we all do it for the people on these shows who work and it's chances are 99.9% of us are never going to be on television or make it to WWE and the main reason well the only reason that we're all there is for the love of it because if we're on there for the money you know it's a nice yeah. it's nice to get paid and have that validation because that's the one for me you know wow I've been paid to wrestle I've, I can actually say I've been paid to wrestle that's like a big one off the bucket list I'm not I'm not you know doing it for free um but it is, we're all there because we absolutely love what we do. I used to do a bit of Amdram in the years that I was off from wrestling. And you get that buzz when you're performing. And like when you're out with your mates and you're drunk, you do karaoke, you get that bit of the buzz, all the eyes are on you. But it really 
is the case when you're there wrestling because people are paid to be entertained and you know every single set of eyes is watching every moment you do from the second you come through that curtain and it's nerve-wracking, it gets you on edge but also that buzz when you come back, like I say you it compared to being like a drug all the time on like podcasts and interviews and it yeah. is the best description to it anyway because that adrenaline rush is just incredible <laughs> you get the dump afterwards and it is a big adrenaline dump but it's it's worth every minute of it i don't think i could have put it better than what you've just done i mean you just hit the nail on that it really is a drug i mean like i enjoy great company great food i don't mind a couple of drinks every so often and that all that stuff gives me a great buzz but performing on a show it's it's not like anything else in this world, nothing. That's why I love it. It's just, it's its own thing. We get to, to enjoy it in, in our own sort of way. And we get to show off a creation, a character that we've made up that, it's, doesn't, it, that doesn't exist, but people believe it and they want to come up and have a picture with it and all this sort of thing. It's the biggest buzz in the world. Yeah. It's a, and as much as, for the people who come into the show, they've paid to be entertained and they've paid to switch off from their regular life whilst they're there. You know, they forget about the troubles for that couple of hours. They're just engulfed, enjoying the good entertainment that they're watching. And it's pretty much similar for the entertainers. Whilst you're out there for whatever it is, you know, your 15 minutes, your 20 minutes, you're not worried about, you know, your mortgage or your job or anything like that. You were just focused on a entertaining the people, but B, yeah, yeah you're getting that good boys yourself. You know what I mean? It's a good Definitely. relief. But um, just going back to sort of BWA, so we we kind of started together. I'm pretty certain I left before you did. Uh, you, is, 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 you is this right? Did. I think you did, but then did you go back after I'd left, and then you left again? And I went back momentarily after um, um, I, so, something along those lines. So I, mean, I left in sort of um, summer 2010, so I'd, I'd been there you know, just over sort of three years. Um, yes, you it, left it, it was, then. Yeah, it was, it was a Betley sort of fair show. Yes, that, like, I remember met, it. Drew McDonald's. Yeah, um, yeah we, we, were both, we were both there on, and um, like I'd left not long after that. I think it was like a week or so after that little you know, state show, fair show, call it whatever you want to call it. Like I was, I was done by that point. Um, I think I, I seem to remember you kind of stayed on a little bit, but I where stayed I got on probably another six months after that. But you're only talking like six training sessions, yeah. I remember, uh, yeah, because I think I remember I got wind, I'm not sure if something had happened or a conversation between you and Chris. Um, but I, I remember you not being there, and I was quite gutted because we we developed a really good relationship. You know what I mean, we were good mates, yeah. weren't we, at training? And you'd managed me for several shows, and I'm being quite gutted when you weren't there for a while. But I'm not sure if that's, you know, looking back on it, is that part of the reason why I decided to take a break after I, the main reason I took a break? I'm not sure if I'm jumping in front on the interview here, um, but I, I was doing the training and I did a few shows, and it just seemed to grind to a halt. There was no shows coming up, and if it was, it was a case of if, you know, am I going to get booked, which was pretty rare. Um, and you'd seen a few people come in and get fast-tracked and go, and you're thinking, oh, I'm still here, like. Uh, but I, I was getting married, and it was getting about six months away from my wedding. And my wife said to me, 
don't you dare do anything stupid that's going to mean you're in a cast on your wedding day. Because we had, we had really, it was, it, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not blowing this nothing, but we had a really nice, big, expensive wedding. It cost us a fortune. And I, I thought, yeah, she's right, actually. I don't want to spoil the day. Um, you know what I mean? And plus, we were going on honeymoon straight after on a cruise and that. So I didn't want to get myself hurt and it was I think looking back on it it was the excuse I needed to get out of it for a while because I think I'd just become disenchanted by it all um I'd been in the ring and I loved it and that's what I wanted to do but I wasn't confident enough and I didn't have I don't know I, I couldn't see how I was going to be able to work anywhere else there was no other companies locally apart from WWA which was like Wales based and they I think they just started running bids but there was a bit, like I said, there was a lot of animosity between Chris and Richard, the two owners, and I wasn't ready to cross that line at that point. And I think you just already had, actually. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I was with, um, he's obviously, it's, now it's United Wrestling, but then it was uh, the Welsh Wrestling Alliance, WWA. And yeah. I've, I've got to thank uh, Dave Dovecchio for this. I know I gave Dave a lot of shit, but I'd made the decision to leave BWA. I'd, I'd had enough. Um, and I'd have fallen out with the uh, the the owner, not the not Claire. I'd have fallen out with Chris, the the wrestling side of uh, the owner. Um, caught him on a bad day. It could have been. Um, he said he said a couple of things that really didn't sit too well with me. Again, that's just personal stuff. And I said, okay, look, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. And left. Didn't think anything of it until I'm done whatever and I kind of thought well I'm, I'm, I'm whatever happens happens yeah I, I didn't think I'd get on it WWA I didn't know what to do and he was Dave Dovecchio sent me a message out of the blue and said hey mate what's uh, what what's this I'm hearing so I kind of told him this story he says well we've got a show at Bids coming up in a, in a couple of weeks uh do you, to, do you want me to see if I can get you on there I said oh, yeah you can, you can ask if you want that's cool and we're in about two hours I got a message back saying Cool, you're managing a guy named Adam Lake, um, uh, Lakey to everyone that, that kind of knows him. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks on Friday. So, like, oh, okay. Just that easy. Cool. Just yeah, out of the frying pan into the fire kind of deal. Yeah, um, like I said, I, I never reached out to him because at that time, I think, I don't know, like I say, I'm not sure if I questioned me with or... I just decided that I'd have a break. And I, I kept seeing you were doing the WWA stuff and I thought about reaching out several times. But at the time, I'd just got married. And that, that's it as well. What, what did it for me is I'd started a new job at work. Um, I'd become a manager. And I had it in me, I had the perception, well, you know, the grief they gain all give me if they see this lad. Because at the time, I was still like 11 stone, you know what I mean? I yeah. was like, if, they, if they see this skinny lad, yeah, he's tall, but if they, if they find out he's a wrestler, how they going to take me seriously? Because I, I was a young lad at the time, I think it was only like mid-20s, you know yeah. what I mean? And I, I'd, I'd got this, what I perceived, and it was it, it was a good step stone for me, this really well-paid, high-profile job. I didn't want to give those lads the opportunity to rip in me, so I decided to step away for what I thought would be short-term whilst I reassess what I'm doing and I'll see how this job goes. And that turned into seven years, more or less. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like a little bit of an interesting uh, side note, especially now more than ever, because obviously everyone's got Wi-Fi on their phones, all this sort of thing. I've been at job interviews uh, this year and last year where they've pulled up 
uh, pictures of me wearing my infamous pressing for you where's Wally attire. <laughs> and they said, is this you? And I'm like, it takes a while to learn to grow a thick skin. You know, people are ripping you and to be able to take it. And yeah. No, I, 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 I'd probably be in the same boat as you, you know, sort of 10 years ago, whatever. People were ripping me in that instance. I don't know how I'd take it. But now I'm into my sort of middle 30s. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it just keep scrolling through the pictures of some better ones. Like, I, I don't yep. care. Like, I, I do it to make people laugh. Um, that's, that's it. That's I'm maybe, there slowly. I think maybe because I didn't have time away. Like... I say right from BWA right into United Wrestling slash WWA, and then I did Kim Roxy's show. That might have been before BWA actually. Um, then Press yeah. and Few came around, and I I don't I can't leave the wrestling industry even if I tried. You know, I'm either being the yeah an announcer for Unstoppable Wrestling up in Padium and places like that, um, or with managing on UKWA or I'm running my shows. I never got away from wrestling so for me it was a case of get stuck in you're not gonna have any chance to get away from it i think i was in denial though because in, in my head i never got away from it it was only when i was several years down the line because i kept kept saying to myself oh no i'm just having i'm having a little break just having a hiatus i'm still you know actively in pursuit and it's something i enjoy doing and then it dawned on me, I think, around the time I was about, you know, 30 or something like that. If I'm going to do anything about it, I need to do something now. Else, It is the case that I had these half a dozen matches, you know what I mean? And that was it. And I didn't want that just to be it. And especially as my eldest son got into wrestling. I mean, he's wrestling mad. He's the main reason. Well, he's one of the main reasons I'm doing it now. Um, I mean, you've met him. He's, he's mental about wrestling. You know what he's like at the shows. Yeah. He's just so excited. He loves coming with me before the shows. He's just seen the ring built, and he's, he's, he's just got this cheeky smile. He, he isn't normally like this, but when he's at the shows, he's got this cheeky smile at him. I'll say, Lucas, stay away from the ring. It's dangerous. And he just gives me this smile, and he just goes up and touches it. It's, it's lovely to see. He's got almost yeah. like that, that sense we were on about earlier, that feeling. So he, he was one of the main reasons I got back into it because he's WWE mad. And I told him I, I was a wrestler in the past. And I think he thought I was, you know, tongue in cheek, showed him a few videos. I still don't think he fully registered until he got to see me at the, uh, it was a Fierce Oscar Mania show. Oh no, I did a rumble for you before the Fierce Oscar Mania show. Yeah, uh, been um, press refuse full Monty. Yeah, that was it. And I remember seeing him and I remember seeing his face when I come out the curtain. And uh, I had a, I think I had about twenty people there that night to come watch me in a rumble because all my mates, they, you know, some of them, they've been in bands over the years. I'm godfather to some of the children. Um, we, I've got a very, very close knit group of friends. The six couples, we've all got two kids each, and we we all were like brothers and sisters. And I'd been watching yeah. them in amateur amateur dramatics, and there was a few wrestling fans in there, so they all come and brought the kids watch me. And I remember the kids going mental as I come out, and I, I remember one of them saying, "Yo, Lucas just had this grin on his face the entire way through the rumble. He was so proud to see you in the ring." And that, like I say, is one of the main reasons why I am sticking to it at the minute. And I've had a chat with him. I said, look, mate, if you ever get to the point where 
you're, you're no longer into wrestling or you start, kids start giving you grief at school. Cause you know what kids can be like? I mean, yeah. there's only six and a half. It's like if kids start giving you grief at school about, oh, your daddy's a wrestler, he wears lycra pants and all this, and you don't want me to do it anymore, so just tell me. I said, I'll let it on the head, but he is one of the main reasons why I do it now uh, for him. And like I say, it's just, it's ace to share that with him. It's one of them, because when you grow up, your dad's always your hero, ain't he? No matter, you, yeah. you, you, your dad's golden. And I, I just try to think, you know, for him, yes, I'm, I'm his dad and we've got that relationship and we love each other to bits, but it must be mental when you're that age, if you're such a big wrestling fan, to then go and watch your dad wrestle. Yeah, it's not WrestleMania, yeah, it's not Raw, but to go and see your dad in front of 100, 200 people, to get thrown around and throw people around. I think that's got to be pretty mind-blowing at that age. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the best thing we've seen, um, obviously, you, you, your kids and you like that, it's still magical to yeah. kids. Like, they're, they're not jaded in any kind of way. It's just larger than life. And it's, I say it's still magical to kids. So mm-hmm. if they're, they're, if your kid's there staring at you, um, yeah. whether it's in front of you, know, 20 people, 200 people, or 100,000 people, it's still that this is the coolest thing in the world, I'd, I'd imagine. Obviously, I don't know that for definite, because in terms of I haven't got kids, I'm, I'm never going to have kids. God help me. I'm you, can, you can borrow mine, mate. <laughs> God damn. I, like, I'm, I'm cool with just my dog, Gingerbread. Gingerbread is, is, is it for me. I'm sure if yeah. he could watch me on a show and be happy, don't even know how that would work, but that, that I'd have the same effect. Is what it is. Yeah. But before we get into your return, mm-hmm. we are going to take a we're going to do a little segue into our little room one hundred and one section. Now, I like people getting stuff off their chest because this world, this life, this business can grind you down sometimes, can get on your tits a little bit. So I want you to give me something about this wrestling business that you would love to put into room one hundred and one to try and banish it forever. And I'm going to try and persuade you otherwise, and then we'll decide at the end whether we put it in or not. So have you got a suggestion of what you'd want to banish? Yeah, and I, I suppose this is more the fan of the, the fan of wrestling, you know, growing up being a big fan of WE and that, and thinking what it was like for me growing up. What I hate and what spoils wrestling for me now, and I, I don't watch it off as much, spoilers... The internet has spoiled wrestling for me. It's the best time in wrestling for me. It was Attitude Era, who was going to show up next. You know you had WWE, which I was always a big WWE fan, but you also had WCW. I'd have a sneaky glimpse at the commercials on that, but I wasn't bothered because I was WWF through and through. That was my company. That's who I watched. And all of a sudden, you have people show up from the other show. This is mental. I didn't know they were coming. Brilliant. What a buzz. And that's what you like. It's the possibility that people could always go back and forth. Now, we're starting to see a little bit of that, I suppose, of AW now. But the problem is, there's no surprises anymore. We know who's being future endeavoured. We know who's being let out the contracts. We know who's a free agent. And you read online that they're going to debut one, two months before they actually do. And that works for both companies and you just don't have that buzz. And I suppose as well, yet part of it is you haven't got the stars that you used to have because you had major stars on both shows, AEW still establishing. But when they get to that point where they've got their big homegrown stars, you know they're not going just vanish from AEW one week and show up on WWE next because the dirt sheets will be all over it. So 
I suppose it's the DH sheets that I'm getting put in there, the online DH sheets. They've killed wrestling, the, the mystique, the excitement for wrestling, because you know what's going to happen now. Storyline-wise, carry, you know, who's going to be where before it happens. I mean, to try and sort of like balance this up a little bit, I suppose. I mean, you know, I'm very much of that same mindset. Like, I enjoy the, the not knowing until it happens. Um, I, I kind of think that, because it, it's not just wrestling, let's be honest. I mean, when uh, Avengers Endgame came out, I think it's about a week before I could even get a ticket to go see it, unless I wanted to go watch it at six in the morning yeah, when no one else was going. And even then, you'd have the seats right at the front where your neck cranked all the way up to, to watch it. Um, so it took like a week for me to even go watch Avengers Endgame. And within that time frame, um, people were putting spoilers on Instagram, on Twitter, and all this sort of stuff. To say, oh, my God, I can't believe it. it's such a sad ending. It's like, shut up. Just shut up. Say nothing. Yeah, we wouldn't tell you died. Just don't say died. Don't tell me anything. Say nothing. Literally nothing. And every TV show, every film, you can't get away from it. It's not just necessarily wrestling. It's spoilers. People have got to report oh my God, I've just got this album, it's, gr- it's good, it's shit, it's this, it's that, it's the other. I think the entire entertainment world, not just wrestling, has been kind of ruined by the internet. Yeah, I know, it's just, I don't know, as a wrestling fan, you find yourself going on the date sheets, because like me, I've got a very busy job, I've got two young kids, I don't get to watch all the wrestling I'd love to anymore, so I go on there to read the, you know, the reports on what happened on Raw, what happened on NXT, what happened on AEW. Then for me, if it sounds like it was a good show, I'll go and watch it. But you can guarantee that underneath, let's take last night, for instance, don't want to be a, you know, a spoiler or nothing. And I, I can't, that was it. Went to go on this morning, watch, read the NXT results, because chances are I'm not going to get a chance to watch that this week. And what's the first thing I see? So it's NXT results, but the article above it, not below it, above it, so before you even get to it is, Drake Maverick doesn't win the belt, but gets new NXT contracts. Now, we all know what happened with Drake Maverick. He lost his job. He was heartbroken. Everybody felt sorry for him. I've, you know, we know people who know him. You hear stories about him. I've never met him, but he does sound like a really genuine, lovely lad who just loves the business. And he was heartbroken. We could see that. And that's spoiled it for him because it's taken away that moment then. Because, you know, I, I would have watched... NXT just to see that moment but before we even got to the results it's there everything's in your face it's just spoiling it for you there we are I mean yeah you, you very much hit the, the nail on the head but I mean that's just the, the, the day and age we're in I suppose I mean yeah. for, all, for all of the good that the internet will do for the business these days you want to put a promo online yeah, if you want to apply to a wrestling company you haven't got like to send them an actual tape in the post you know what I mean? Like, people in the 80s would have done that. They'd literally put a cassette tape in the post. Now, you can have an email with them in about seven seconds with links to your matches and all this sort of thing. So, the internet has, has kind of done a lot for wrestling, but it also does detract a little bit. There's no denying it. Yeah, no, I tell you what saying. And also, it has made wrestling more accessible to the masses with streaming, WWE Network, YouTube. I, I can get that. I, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not trying to throw the internet in there. I suppose it's more based at dirt sheets and spoilers. Hmm, so do we do we put it into Room 101? Do we put it in? 
Um, dirt sheets. We're not putting the internet in. We're putting the dirt sheets in. Nobody likes to have anything spoiled for them, do we? Let's be honest. We all like a nice surprise now and again. Yeah, fuck Dave Meltzer. Yeah, um, FDM. <laughs> um, go on then, ladies and gents. We are putting the wrestling dirt sheets into room 101. There is well done, sir. Well done. Yeah, fuck now we're. <laughs> Is Brian Alvarez still going? If he is, fuck Brian as well. Right, so uh, now that we've finished the Room 101 segment, we want to jump into present day Perfect Paul James. So you finished, what, early-ish 2011? Well, on that kind of line. Yep, yeah, I got married summer, uh, August 2011, so I'd say about six months before then. It's around that time frame. Yeah, and um, obviously we've kind of talked about that a little bit. So when was it you actually came back? When was what was the the sort of driving force behind you? What now is the oh, time? I'd had the age for years, and I'd gone through phases where I'd got myself in shape, and then I just didn't know where to go because I'd been out of it for so long. I'd only had half a dozen matches, so I had no self confidence in myself. I always remember. At the time when I was training at the school, I felt like I was one of the better students. And I won't try and blow smoke up my arse. I felt like I was one of the more competent students at that school. When I'd been on other shows, you realise you once you go out there, it's a different kettle of fish. I was still new to it. And I've missed seven years now. So I I tried going to reach out. And it it had got me nowhere. And, you know, my hope was dwindling about uh, ever doing anything again. Um, but then what happened, unfortunately, uh, one of my brother's best friends, he's a friend of mine as well, him and his wife, um, they lost the son, Oscar, to sepsis. Uh, he was uh, just for his, I believe he was around the two years old. And uh, they, they, it was horrible. It was heartbreaking for everybody involved, even though like, personally I wasn't close to them. I was friendly with them and I'd only met Oscar a handful of times so he was a beautiful, happy, lovely little lad but because I'd only met him a handful of times and uh, you, you won't do anything you can because as a couple they really took on the fundraising aspect because he, he passed of sepsis and they were doing loads for Donna Louise because I, I know personally how much they helped them uh, immediately after his passing because my brother went up with Rob and Nettie to visit Oscar at Donna Louise and it was uh, to open my eyes to what they do there extraordinary so I, I want to do something to help uh, raise money in his memory and then I knew Rob the, the, the dad of Oscar was a massive wrestling fan uh, WCW fan unfortunately for him but he was a wrestling fan nonetheless um, and I, I had this vision of you know trying to put on something wrestling orientated in Oscar's memory to raise money um, but at the time, there was a there was a lot happening, and uh, Jamie Kyle, somebody who uh, it was in my brother's year at school, had organised a football charity uh, event in Oscar's memory in the summer, and uh, raised a lot of money. And I, I knew Jamie from school; I was never mates with him as such. Anyway, I approached him after the football one, and I said, "Look, I've got this idea um, about a wrestling show." In Oscar's memory, what do you think? Knowing that Jamie was a big wrestling fan and I'd actually seen on Facebook years prior that Jamie had met you at a PCW show or something. Um, and I said, look, uh, what, what do you think? Would you be interested in helping me? Because I know I, I can't do this. I haven't got the contacts. And I knew I was going to be coming to you. 
Um, but I wondered if Jamie would be there to help me along the way. And he, he, he was thought it was a brilliant idea. He was well up for it. He'd never, he'd always been a wrestling fan. He'd been to shows, he'd been to WrestleMania, but he'd never, you know, been involved in anything. So that's when we reached out to you um, to get the ball rolling because obviously I'd been away from the business for so long. And it wasn't, at the time, I wasn't even, you know, sure if I'd be on the show I just wanted to get the show on and get Rob somewhere near that ring something for him to you know because Rob does a lot of amateur dramatics so I knew it would mean a lot for him if he could have his footprint on that show as well as it being in his son's memory um so we reached out to you started bouncing back a few ideas we you know, I, I was trying to make it because you were doing a lot for us by helping us facilitate the show with your contacts, the ring, the wrestlers. So I wanted it to be worthwhile for you as a company as well. So we were going to put yeah. this end of the city because you'd never been to this end of the city. It was near Rob's family where he lives. So I thought it could open you, open you up to new fans, new people to come to shows. Um, anyway, we so, obviously a lot went into it, but we got there. We got to Oscar Mania 1. And at the time, I was... Um, I was probably training the hardest I've ever trained in my life. I was doing like three uh, training sessions a week and, you know, what's it called? Uh, circuit training, hit, yeah. whatever it is, caveman yeah. training. And then I was doing weights on top of that. And I got myself, I mean, you look at me, I wasn't chiseled, but I was. I had a good frame on me. My car, I had cardio for days and I'm really going shape for that. Um, put a lot of effort into it. So uh, we got the Oscar Mania show done. Yeah, you, you invited me to the show, the full Monty, prior to Oscar Mania. Basically, I'll only get my nerves out of the way because I haven't been in front of a crowd for so long. And it's the ideal situation. It's a rumble. There's other people in there, so not all eyes are on you at the time. You haven't got to go in there and, you know, think about a full match. You can just go in there and you wing it, you brawl. You might get a few spots in. You have a laugh along the way. So I did that show for you. Um, then we did Oscar Mania and I did a uh, three-way with Ryan Myatt and uh, Matt Burns, two lads who I remember back from the training days, so that made me feel comfortable. I knew they'd been wrestling for a long time, so I had the match with them, uh, with Jamie as my manager, and Rob come out with Kyle, and uh, it, it was a blast. Watched it back several times, and it was just a nice, good, little three-way match. Nothing over the top, bread and butter, basics, but it was really enjoyable, and I got that buzz back then. But the thing I've always kicked myself for was after that show was done, because I put so much planning into the sponsors, I'd done a lot of running around, paying people. I, I, I feel for you being a promoter because I, <laughs> I, I got a real big snippet of it that year um, because, like I say, it was this side of the city. And uh, as soon as that show was done, I just stopped training. <laughs> I'd stopped going to the gym. In, in the meantime, I had actually started uh, to, to get my bumps back in and get my ring shape back together. I started training a bit with Barracks uh, Wrestling School, which is a local wrestling school uh, run by Chris Rossington. Um, Birchall, the working man, he was the working man. He's just changed his name, actually, because of legalities with Otis. So I, I have to give a big shout-out to them because they were really accommodating. Uh, they were really good with me and a really good little wrestling school as well. So And they are a school. They are once a month. They Basically, you pay a monthly fee, and it's 24-7 if you want go and access the ring, and there's classes structured throughout the week. But it is a good place to go and train if you are local and you're interested in training. But that's by the by. They were really good. Did uh, the full Monty, did Oscar Mania. 
and uh, then as soon as Oscar Mania one finished, it was it was a hit. We raised about fourteen hundred pound, and I remember you turning to me, and I was always under the impression it was one and done. You know, I just wanted to raise this money for Oscar in his memory, and you turned to me on the day, uh, and to be honest, Nettie and Rob did. They said, "Right, let's do it again next year." I was like, "Oh no," but I couldn't say no. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was such a good day. It was a good cause. We had a great crowd, and it was relatively new you had some of your regulars there but there was a lot of people who hadn't been to the shows before so it was yeah achieving that goal that i wanted for you because i was very mindful you've done so much for us and it did it got some new pointers there for you who started following and it made some fans out of me godchildren as well which was good <laughs> so yeah it, it was good so then we started planning for oscar mania too and i've been on a few of your shows since and uh, i've gotten the bug back shall we say Oh, so we'll we'll put like put a little bit of uh, meat on the bones at this point. So oh yeah, we, we did we did ask many one. It was the was the Sneed Green Community Hall. Is that right? Yeah, community centre. Yeah. Um, uh, good cards, really good main events. Uh, really, yeah, I can't can't fault it in any way, shape, or form. Um, great venue again, but like we had like a um, a new camera crew on that day, and uh, unlike your typical press interview show. Um, all the wrestlers were, were doing it uh, without a wage. I mean, I don't know if some people if some people knew that, if some people didn't know that. But the wrestlers kind of forfeit um, their wage in favour of, of all the money going to the charity that, that they're putting it to. So on a typical person for you show, if we need people there and they're free, I pay for them to be on the person for you show. Now, when you're kind of relying on um, people's sort of good graces to come on the show stories don't always follow onto a charity show and then out of a charity show back into the normal mix of things. Because some people, and again, this isn't a knock, but some people either, because I remember there was, there was another charity show on the exact same day. I think it was Wrestle Island up north. We're doing a charity show same day. I'm pretty certain I've got that right. Or at least it was penciled in. I can't remember if they went through with it. But, so we had some people... Some brand spanking new people to the roster, so it was kind of cool. We got to you know, get test these people, them out. <laughs> yeah, test them out, show them what the Stoke crowd can be like. Um, it's just yeah, just really good day. You're you right, it's about fourteen hundred quid there or thereabouts. And I think I got home. I you'd sent me the information, said look, we've, we've made this amount. Keep it on the person few page as well as like a bit of a fan queue. And I was like, yeah, cool, put the info up. And I think it was. I'm 99% certain this is right. I put a line on the bottom just saying, same time next year, question mark, winky face. Just like a bit of a cheeky, yeah, like same time next, yeah. next year, whatever. And between yourself, me, and uh, Jamie Kyle, I think we had a message going between us. And we're like, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's do it again next year. All right, cool. Brilliant. So let's, let's pencil one in for a year's time. Um, but... Between Oscar Mania 1 and Oscar Mania 2, there's so much difference. I mean, we're at the, the, the Port Vale Valiant Suite, which is a yeah. such a beautiful room. I love that room for wrestling. Um, what, what it was, it was funny, actually, because we did suggest that venue for Oscar Mania 1. And you looked at the pictures and you said, no, it's not big enough. The, room, the ceiling isn't high enough. We should measure it. And it was close. But if you remember, me and you actually, uh, we, we went there through uh, Josh Brown's funeral, uh, Kim, yeah. Kim Roxy's brother, and uh, you turned to me 
and he said because it was done up lovely for Josh's funeral. He had his IC belt on the podium, things like that. And you two said, "I want running show in here," and I just laughed to myself because I could, I, I just could hear in me when I let Jamie know that Phil wants running show here. Show here. I can imagine the air turning blue. Arvin said, I wanted to do a show there last year. He said the roof wasn't big enough. I, I knew Jamie goes up like a bottle of pop. Yeah. So it, I knew it was coming, but it was. And uh, basically, I had to go and have a few meetings with him, do the recce of the room, met you there one time, sorted out. They were very gracious. Basically, they charged us like a quarter of what it should be yeah, for I mean, the, the, because the, the, it was for a charity team. show. Yeah, the entire team there, like, brilliant really really brilliant everyone everyone we met when we were up there just sorting the room out they, they were just like you just come do whatever you want to do you want to use our mics use our mics you want to use our projectors use our projectors just do whatever you want to do and yeah that was really really I've, big 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 shout out to everybody at Port Vale that made Oscar Mania 2 happen really yeah. really show and I, I don't think they I, I don't think they knew what to expect so I think they were they treated it a little bit cautiously, but then yeah. they seem to enjoy the day so much that I have really got big aspirations for if when Oscar Mania three happens, it's gonna be available again. But uh, I think we'll be able to do a lot more with it next time round. Unfortunately this year, as we know, current situation climate, it's highly unlikely to happen. Especially with that the nature of the show being a charity show. We do rely heavily on sponsors of local uh, firms, and I think it to be wrong, especially when all these firms are local businesses that are self-run yeah. by local people, it to be wrong to go be asking them for money to bankroll the show, to raise money for charity, and also then to ask people, you know, because it isn't just the tickets on the doors. We do things inside. You do your raffle. We do the pictures. So I think it's wrong to be asking people for, you know, to dig deep when everybody's in these uncertain times. So it may have to go on hiatus for a year. But next year, we've got plenty of time to plan it. And I'm hoping, you know what I mean, that Vale have now sampled it. And with these new owners who are in, they're fantastic owners. I'm hoping they get behind it so we can make a real big spectacle of it for next year. I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't look at maybe doing one or two shows, you know, one at each end of the year. It's a possibility, but I'm sure we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, um, the 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 date for this year's Oscar Mania is still penciled in. Obviously, the Port Vale venue and the charity show concept for this year is, is unfortunately is had to be cancelled. But um, Oscar Mania two, uh, Port Vale Valley and Suites, really good show. I think um, a stronger card this time. Yes. Um, we got some some. I mean, personal highlights for me uh, as because I, I was the DJ on the day. And so, <laughs> so you, you know instinctively where I'm going with this. So yeah. if, if you've watched the Oscar Mania 2 show, which it's it's on the Press and View YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Press and View. Um, now, Perfect Paul James has been managed by Jamie Kyle, and they knew I was going to change the music part way out of their entrance because I saw it happen to William Regal, I think it was. He's against Daniel Bryan. He's halfway down the entrance ramp. And his music switched into his old um, man. Yeah, man. The, and we, yeah, well, we was, I think might be me and you talking about it and said, "Oh, it'd be dead funny to, to, to do that with someone." And I thought, like, "Well, yeah, you. It'd be the perfect thing to do to you because you can sell it like a, a spoiled baby." And we kind of put the idea out, 
And I said, all right, cool. So you, you and Jamie know it's going to change, but I won't tell you when and I won't tell you what it'll be. And you, you said, all right, cool, because at least it'll be organic. Because even if we know yeah. it's coming, we don't know what you're going to put. You could play Delilah in that Paul Vale Valiant suite, but it could go wrong, but it's up to you, whatever you want to do. And it was steps, five, six, seven, eight, which I'm quite chuffed at that. It just uh, caught me so off guard because I, I had, you know, dozens of songs in the head that I was thinking he's going to play. Right, said Fred was in the head for some reason. Something, uh, I don't know, but I just wasn't expecting steps. And it just caught me so off guard. You just see the, you know, the quizzical look on my face as you play like, what's this? I mean, I don't worry to us, but I mean, what is this? Why are yeah. you playing this? And it, oh, awful, <laughs> awful. Well, yeah. I had 10 songs on my laptop that uh, I, I was uh, thinking about picking. I'd like you, Barbie Girl, and just some horrendous, horrendous, horrendous songs. And I don't know why. I just thought Steps, 5, 6, 7, 8. It'll just be funny. I think it's the violin that kicks in at the start, which kind of made it fun for me. And I thought, I've got to do it. And oh. it kind of worked well, because you had Martin Draper stood in the ring dancing along to it and all this sort of thing. That's definitely one of really enjoyed it, Martin, did. <laughs> we'll make it the Draper's music next time we're on the show, anyway. That's definitely up there in terms of being absolute highlight. I think the other one which I can pick has to be the carrot. I'm glad I missed that. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I heard about it vividly from my son. You know, he normally has pies. Well, he had a carrot, and you won't believe what he did with the carrot. I'm thinking, do I really want to know what he did with the carrot? But obviously, the second you come through the curtain, it's all you heard about. And you, I've seen the video, the images after. Oh, who would have thought? I, I, yeah, for I an object, the raw carrot. Yeah, I mean, I can't take full responsibility for this. I mean, in terms of, um, we kind of knew what, what we wanted to do on the day. Now, You've got Drill, he's the working class hero, he's the epitome of person for you. You're very northern, very cheeky, funny, chucking out pies, just a fun time kind of guy. And going against Troy Goose, you're the head of standards and practices for ethical wrestling. They're chalk and cheese. You couldn't, even though they look quite similar, both bald men with beards, they. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, not at all. That's 70% of my bloody roster. Um, but in terms of character-wise, you, you couldn't get them any more different if you tried. And we, we I, I'd ordered a KFC bucket um, a few weeks prior. And, um, like, I'm just looking at it, and I've got this weird idea in my head that if Troy Goose is about spoiling the party, I'm going to remake that KFC bucket, and it will, be, it will draw out of you, drill fried chicken and... This sort of thing. And he's, he's going to stash it under the ring. He's going to do a bit of a smoke and mirrors thing where he's like, oh, bad news. I've not got any pies. Boo. Good news. I, I popped by and got some chicken. Way. Surprise and delight. I thought it would be a, a good way of doing it. But at some point in the day, Troy Goose would have spotted it, switched the chicken out for carrots. Because this was Troy's um, debut on our show. And we wanted yeah. to get that character over and I thought, it's brilliant. So I told them that, uh, and it was just going to be left at that. There's nothing else to do with the carrots that was put forward. I'd said, this is what we're doing because I want to get Troy's character over. I want to do a bit of fun with Drill. That's what it is. 
Now, two minutes before the um, uh, the start of the second half, of the sh- um, no, before we'd even started the show, because that was the first half main event, um, I, before the, yeah, we started lighting in, I went backstage and I'd, I'd, I'd spoke to, to Drill and to Troy and whatever. And I said, so we all know what we're doing? And Drill just went, yeah, we're going to stick a carrot up an arse. And everybody in the match here, Matt Burns, Luda Rocks, uh, Bjorn, Holly House, they all just laughed. So I was like, oh, okay. They're ribbing me a little bit. Because, yeah, it's quite banterful on charity show days. We're not as serious. So we're not a serious people company anyway. But it's even, yeah, it's just a bit more fun on charity days. Anyway, we tend to have a bit more of a laugh. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going back to the DJ booth. Have a great show, whatever. So I thought, okay, they're ribbing me. They're just winding me up because they know on show day I'm a stressor anyway. I'll get back to the DJ booth, play my songs till the show starts, blah, blah, blah. And when it's happening, I'm like, oh, shit. They're literally going to stick a carrot up up Bjorn's bum. (laughs) Family show and here goes the carrot. (laughs) This this is the best thing. Like, I'm stood there and I can't change anything at this point. Like, I kind of thought, uh, I think it's Drill and Matt Burns sang a song earlier in the match by uh, R. Kelly. They didn't know. They just thought it was a song. He's like, my, my mind's telling me no, but my, whatever that song is. And it's an yeah. R. Kelly song and not... Bump and yeah, Grind. Yeah, and a few months prior, that Netflix documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, had came out. Now, they didn't know it was an R. Kelly song. They were just singing a song because Luna Rocks was kind of being waist-locked by Troy and she was, like, grinding on him and whatever. <laughs> but at that point, for, oh, shit, it's R. Kelly. You know, it is what, it's one of them things. Too late, whatever. <clears throat> but then by the point that uh, they're doing the carrots, I'm thinking, I can't do anything. It is what it is. If people think he's distasteful, I can't do anything. And the people really got into it to a point that they were stealing the carrots. That yeah, because he was a big KFC bucket full of carrots. He was like yeah. a bag and a half of carrots in there. Um, and they were stealing the carrots. They were eating the carrots. Now I don't know if somebody ate. I the, hope they didn't. Ate the <laughs> carrot. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What for me, personal highlight. That's what it is. So, do you have a personal highlight from that show? No, I'm just, you know, proud of the whole show. And again, I think we raised, it was just over 1300 this time. Um, and I think we did more than that because actually Don Louise turned up to this one and they had the collection buckets. They signed up a lot of people to the lottery. So on a personal level, wrestling aside, it, it was the contribution towards Don Louise. Um, but I suppose in a wrestling uh, theme. It was the first time I ever took a frog splash or a top rope splash, and uh, he, he he absolutely drilled me with it. And what me mate, I remember one of my best mates, Matty, as I was backstage, sent me the video that he had actually taken of me getting hit with it that he'd filmed in slow motion. And as Martin hits me, my entire body leaves the canvas by a couple of <laughs> inches. It, the, the impact was there before I come back down. But like in ghosts. Yeah, that was it. You can see my spirit leave my body. But for me, it was, an, it, it, it was a massive personal achievement, that match, because that's the first time I'd worked with two lads that I didn't know. I'd never spoke to any of them prior to the event. I'd always worked with people who I trained with or, you know, 
friends yeah. of friends who had been through the same training school um, and they took really good care of me. It's like I say, I, I am behind the curve um, for where I am wrestling at the minute, which I do, uh, you know, in terms of improving on. And I don't think it stuck out in the match that that was the case either. You know, I mean, I like to think once I was in there, once I was in the groove, I hung with him. And that's just an account to them and how good those two lads are. I mean, but like, yeah, for me, there's a lot to take from it. I mean, Lance Rivera, I mean, he would have been 20 on this show, uh, yeah. which, which is insane. I mean, I, we didn't start training until our middle 20s. The fact that he's that good... Um, at the age of 20 is insane. Really nice. I mean, anyone that wrestles on charity shows is a godsend anyway because you're doing out the goodness of your heart and you want to you know, help create, make money for, for a very worthwhile charity. So, um, so we're going to swiftly move on into our sort of uh, game show segment. Now, I'm going to have to queue up a little bit of music. Don't worry, it's not steps. You've not got to... Listen to steps five six seven. Thank God, I know. But um, today's game show, I'm going to click the uh, the music on. Is That's enough of that shit. It's blockbusters. There's only so, <laughs> so long I can hear it, and it's cheesy 80s nonsense. 80s at its best. Oh my god! So just like blockbusters, I'm gonna. We've got a couple of questions for you. I was gonna do all seven, but we'll, we'll, we'll just we'll just pick say maybe two, maybe three out of it. So cool. imagine the blockbusters board. You got the word perfect, of course. You're perfect for James. P e r f e c t. Um, if you say could I have a pee, please, Phil, I will fucking love you for that. Because it's like just <laughs> can, can I have a pee, please, Phil? Thank you, thank you, Bob Holness. I don't know if he's dead or if he's still alive, but uh, that one's for you, Bob. Paying a little tribute for that. Um, so we've got a question for each of those seven letters. Obviously, I know we've got two two E's and it's two whatever. You have to say E one or E two. And uh, so you're going to pick me three letters from the word perfect and each one's got a question now if you get them if you get all three right i owe you a drink next time we meet up two i might owe you a shot one i'm going to give you a punch in the dick and if you get none right you get two punches in the dick so there's, I there's a wrong lot. on purpose then <laughs> this one marriage does to you no, we'll, we'll, we'll skip past that we'll skip past that so we're uh, oh. letter. I will take a pee, please, Philip. Yes. Good on you, Bob. All right. So uh, what pee is part of a smell of a locker room? <laughs> is it just pee? <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. Um, so I'm going to give you... Uh, it's, uh, that's an incorrect, unfortunately, mate. So that, that is, you've lost that one. Oh. The pee was protein. Now, oh, protein trumps. I wasn't thinking are, that are, sweet. Yeah, protein trumps are definitely a thing. That's one protein thing that I don't miss of, uh, of lockdown. I don't miss the uh, locker room smelling of protein trumps. So P has now gone. You've got uh, your F E C T. F, please, Phil. We're going to find F. 
What F is a town in Stoke where you had the majority of your BWA matches? That would be Fenton, Philip. He's got it right. Yeah. I've, I've not got any, like, noises, like little beeps and bings and dings. Whether the Family Fortunes or Lucy Abenshaw, I had everything, but I've not got any blockbuster mute, uh, noises, unfortunately, mate. But you've got one right, so that's only one, one punch in the dick. Great. So uh, you've now got an E R or an E C T. You've got erect left, <laughs> <laughs> and that was oh, unintentional. How, how? Oh my god! I, I've oh, never said that. I've never said that to another human bloke. But you've got you've got erect. I'll have to remember that for a promo one time if I uh, take the P and the F out of P of it. I'll take Paul James. Amazing. One pick. Oh, pick another one. I'll take a C, please. Oh, beautiful. So, what C are vegetables of which we both looked liked after we'd had a spray tan? <laughs> Carrots. He's got it right. Fancy. He's got two. I, I can't leave it on a two. You need to pick one more for me. I'll so take a T, please. This will please. even be. If you get it wrong, you get a punch in the dick. If you get it right, you get it. You get it. We'll, we'll say it's a shot or a pint. So are you going for the tea? Tea, please, mate. What tea is the nickname of our assistant head trainer? Tango Tim Wiley. God damn it! I owe you a drink. You've just won blockbusters. Hey, I'll, I'll go celebrate with the kids. Fuck you now. I thought I was going to have you for that one. Bastard. 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 Ah, fine, I need a drink. Right, into the last stage of this goddamn podcast. We're making these last fucking ages, mate. This is absolutely crazy. So what has Perfect Paul James got in future? I mean, are you wanting to try anything else in this business? I mean, I always thought that you would make uh, a good manager. That's I know because it's weird me saying that because that's been mine in your role. I've always been your manager whenever we've lost, you know, losers wear dresses matches and you know, things like that sort of stuff. But is there anything else in this business you'd want to try, whether it's commentary, whether it's whatever? Is there any, what's in the future for Perfect Paul James? I've, I don't know. I mean, in, to start with, in my wrestling career, if you can put it like that, there's a few things I need to take off. I mean, I'm sick of my lad giving me grief that I haven't won. I mean, my lad <laughs> is, Dad, you rubbish. You haven't won. I can beat you. And so I've got to get a win. I've got to get a win. And I mean, you're not for seven at the minute to progressing for you. Yeah, and I did notice on the last show, the crowd, they seem to be organically slowly coming over to me because I've been a career heel. I mean, the, the first two matches I did in Shrewsbury, I was a face, um, but I've always been a heel since then. And I've always enjoyed being a heel uh, because... I always thought being a baby face was a bit bland. You go out there, you clap, you smile, you high five. But it's actually got to the point where I'm I'm hoping that the crowd starts to buy into the storyline because I would like to at some point get that win and come out again to Darude Sandstorm, get everybody clapping, <laughs> bouncing around with a smile. Because even my son now, when he's seen some of the old videos, and he likes to read Sandstorm now. And uh, funnily enough, I only ever started coming out to that because I didn't know what track to use, and my dad loved it. And my dad used to play it a lot, and I really liked the song. So um, I realised it's a good one to basically the curtain, 
as soon as that bass drops, start clapping and it gets everybody clapping. So yeah, I want to win. I won't be a face, so I can come back out to the Druid Sandstorm at least one more time. But on a confidence level, I, I won't yeah. I won't get to that point where I've got a bit more it's slowly going there, and COVID hasn't helped. But you know, get get on a few more shows to get my confidence up. So I am happy with my ability. I don't feel like you know it's, it was all taking all that time away from it. Yeah. I want to be able to get to that point where I think, yeah, I can hang with him. Um, maybe you know, uh, I've had the offer off Kyle from UKWA to go and visit them and maybe do a bit of something with them as well. So I think branching out to a new crowd of people as well may not hit me, you know, maybe good for me and help me develop. So that's where I am on a wrestling basis. I have always fancied being a referee, I've always fancied getting that shirt on. I'm not I sure that I'd lose. Definitely see that. I think the only problem would be, though, what happens when you've got a referee who's like, you know, half a foot taller than half the roster. I, I don't know how that would work, but yeah, I could I could definitely be a bumpy referee. I wouldn't mind refereeing a few matches some point down the line. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I haven't really given it that much thought. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'd say that. And I, I wouldn't be advised to managing. I would I, I would like a manager with me again at some point. Um, you know, if I, if I finally get that win and the crowd buy into it, it'd be nice to have Jamie with me. And one one thing, actually, now I'm on it, that I've thought about since I got back into it and prior to getting back into wrestling was, I always wanted to have a lock-up with you in the ring on a show. I'm not sure <laughs> if it'd be... I'm not sure if it'd be a match, a tag match, comedy spot, but I really want to throw you around the ring a little bit as... Weird as that sounds, I want I to get know. you in that ring and uh, slap you about a bit, Philly. Uh, so I, I, I happen to remember somebody ejecting me from the pressing for you full Monty Rumble, uh, hiking my Where's Wally pants right up my bum crack. Yeah, that, that, that was just a small tasty. I think there's more to be done there. Dude, it, it took me salad tongues and two other people to get those undies back out my arse. So... Yeah. Well, in all, in all fairness, and I've, I've got to say this, and like, I'm going to blow some smoke up, up my own arse, because I think you were the, the next number to come out in that rumble after me, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I, again, like I, I was dressed like Where's Wally on Pips. I had Dan the announcer announced me as Stokes' biggest Wally. And I think this goes back to what you said earlier, that just to get your confidence up, I think... For me, I get my confidence from people laughing either at me or with me. I'm fine with that. So I purposefully went out as a fucking Wally. Wally. The, the, yeah, like with the stripe, the stripy hat, the glasses, the um, the the, sh- yeah, the shirt, which kind of covered my wrestling gear. So in a lot of pictures, I look like I'm wearing a t-shirt and nothing else. Um, but yeah, I reckon we. Uh, the perfect Paul James and uh, the Wally could, uh, could uh, lock up at some point because I think I'm too old to be your manager now in, in another promotion because it'd be too weird it's like we're, we're two middle aged guys with dad bods it's a bit weird yeah but Jamie I am... Kyle I think yeah definitely I know I'm going to put Jamie over on this I go Jamie I really hope you have a listen to this back but even though you, he's only done two shows yeah he's got the makings of a really good manager. He's got really good managing instincts. Not just to give a crowd some shit, but when to shut up as well. And now I didn't learn that till a good couple of years into the business. I just thought get as much heat as humanly possible. But I, I was stealing heat from the matches. Whereas Jamie, whether it's an underconfident thing, he's not stealing all the heat. 
he's got really good instincts. Um, so, yeah. J- Jamie, we, we're pulling you over a little bit, mate. Hopefully you do listen to this back. And even though you've only done two shows, find it, a way to do more. It will do. He's become, over the last few years, he's become a really good friend of mine. We went WrestleMania last year together with my brother and Rob, who I mentioned earlier, who was Oscar's dad. Yeah, he's become a good friend of mine. And I, I'm hoping, like I say, we can get to that point where, you know, down the line, we do get him on a few shows because I know how much he really enjoyed them shows. And it was nothing he was ever expecting to do. And he was breaking it and he was questioning himself when he come back. Did he do good? No, oh, they didn't understand me because he went full jock on him. But yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's good when, like I say, we've been there. You experience it as we touched on. You get that buzz, and to see somebody else then who didn't think that that was going to be an opportunity, who's always been a wrestling fan, to get that buzz, and you know that you've had something to do in that to help manufacture yeah. that. It's a good feeling. So, you know, we'll see what happens down the line. Definitely, definitely. Well, uh, Mr. Uh, Perfect Paul James, it's, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I, like, I love these little nostalgia trips. Whenever we get together, like it was 13 years ago, but I can remember a lot of it like it was yesterday. The good, the good yeah. days, the bad days, the, the bad spray tans, the... <laughs> the handstands at training. Yeah, just it's the, the ridiculousness that this business brings about. Uh, the good and the bad, I wouldn't change it for the fucking world. And I'm pretty certain you feel the same way as well. Yeah, no, thanks for this. I've really enjoyed the chat. Like I say, it's been really nice revisit some memories I forgot about. And have a good catch-up, because normally when we're all meeting, it's at a show and you've got a million things going on. So it's been good <laughs> to catch up with you and have a nice chat, pal. Damn right, mate. So stay happy, stay healthy, dude. Ladies and gents, this has been Series 3, Episode 2 of Snap, Crackle and Cheap Pops. I've been Filthy. He's been Mr. Perfect Paul James. Thank you very, very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. And we'll see you again shortly. Thanks for listening. Check out Pro Wrestling For You on all social media platforms and stream our back catalogue of shows over at pw4uondemand.co.uk.